everyone. Welcome to episode 194 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, and bans for the casual spike. Oh, that's the best part. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from the BNR capital of the Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, he's still got some Alfredo in his hair. <laughs> Shane Beeps, welcome home. Oh, man. I feel like it's it's been so long. The temporary retirement is over. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was nice to be have a break, but also listening to the episodes without me, it, it felt like something was lacking to me personally. Your ego <laughs> of hearing yourself talk. <laughs> now, Shane, you were in Italy. Did you have any good like Alfredo? Did you have like <laughs> bottomless breadsticks? Are amazing. In Italy, I heard. Yeah. Everywhere I was, I felt like it was, you know, uh, I felt like I was family. <laughs> now, was, and you were under was, the Tuscan sun, correct? I don't know where I wasn't in Tuscany. Where is Tuscany? Is that a region? Yeah. Okay. I, so here's where I was. Long story short, I went to Naples, Positano, some area south of Positano for a couple of days, and then back up into Rome and was there for a few days. And it was a very nice trip. I enjoyed all of those re- all those areas of Italy uh, quite a bit. It was sweet. I got to drive a lot. I drove 400 kil- kilometers. I think that's like 8,000 miles. Cool. So that, that was fun. Yeah. And then uh, I got COVID. So I, I I came I came back I got I tested positive my second to last day in Italy and uh, I want to tell you all something it's uh, it's been like what nine nine days and I'm barely feeling better this, this stuff is it's it's legit it's very real you do not want to get this I I you know I try to be good I I was you know wearing masks and like museums and stuff like that public you know anything that's crowded indoors but then you know you get lazy and you're like well. I'm eating indoors. I'm not going to, can't wear a mask on doing that. Or, you know, just, just get a little lazy, get a little complacent, and then you end up getting the COVID. I, I even had the new bivalent booster, and this thing kicked my butt. Like, I am, I mean, you heard me whining in the admin chat for the last week. It's, it's, not, it's not been fun. Shane would not, sh- would not shut up about it. Oh, uh, I every, have COVID. Uh, I got the COVID. This no, Italian food doesn't taste like anything. Oh. Oh um, man, the best thing was I did I did I did keep my my sense of taste. Well, I was like, no, we can't we can't let that slide because because three days before you tested positive, you were complaining <laughs> about some of the under seasoned food, and Stan goes, "Do you have COVID?" Yeah, it's a good point. And and, and I then was like, I don't think so. Afterwards, after this happened, Stan and I were talking, and he was like, "I think I was right." <laughs> He's like, "I think I was right." I mean, I did have some good food. I think just, I think just my my seasoning sensibilities are different. But like, Maybe. you know, overall, uh, Italy good, COVID bad, and I'm not gonna, you know, tell you all what to do out there. But I would encourage you to remember, uh, it's still out there, and you don't really want to get it. It's not good for you or fun. I'm gonna go get boosted. I'm just gonna say that I, I haven't been putting it off. My wife has gotten boosted. Uh, I'm gonna go get boosted. I'm gonna make make an effort to get boosted now. Even more so because of what you've told me the last couple of days. So I got boosted. In fact, I had an appointment to get my kid his like final boost dose that all the kids were entitled to. And the day before that appointment, the pediatrician called me and was like, Hey, we got adult boosties too. If you want a booster for yourself while you get your kids boosty. And I was like, Boost me up, Doc. How about yeah, that? Do it. I'd like to introduce our other co host. <laughs> oh, yeah, him. The Godfather Dave Harberger is also here. It's fine. It's not about me this week. No. 
It's definitely not. I mean, it kind of is. We're playing a deck that's very up your alley, Dave. I, it is. Yeah, true. But before we talk about that deck, this is an exciting show because we're going to react to Monday's a very exciting banned and restricted announcement in Standard. And I don't know if any other formats were hit. We're probably just going to ignore those. Really talking about Standard today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, why not? Well-known experts on Standard that we, we are. We, we certainly are. Mostly F2P Standard on Arena Mobile. I just play mono red every season, no matter what, on the FTP. Best of one only. Hell yeah. Does, something get, does anything get banned in best of three? Because I don't play that. And then after that satirical bit, we're going to dive into red black scam in modern, one of the hottest decks to make itself known in our favorite format over the last few months. It's been on our radar for a while, but we had to wait for Shane's return from vacation because he would have been really mad if we dove into it without him. Yeah, creativity fine, this not as fine. Right. We knew you'd be fine not doing, uh, I'm going to cast X equals in, indomitable creativity, X equals one. Oh, it got countered? <laughs> this, deck, this deck can't be counter spells. That's what the whole, the whole uh, reaction would have been. Zach Ryle in my place was honestly much better. He's, he's, mm. he's so natural at this. I, I love listening to Zach on the pod. He's fine. Yeah. Just once I would, I would have loved for for Shane to chime in like, why are we playing 1-1 Dwarves? They don't do anything. <laughs> this O3 Crab can't attack. I guess it's better than, it's a strict upgrade to the Crab tokens, but <laughs> still not sure. All right, before all that though, let's housekeep. We've got some new patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We've got Terrence P. Kyle M. Returns. Thomas R. Here for the first time, along with David S., Walter A., and another returning patron, Jack J. Wow. Welcome. Six is pretty good. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, that's a, what that's a, week. a good week. And and the boomerangs, you got you to gotta love the boomerang patrons. Well, yeah, welcome back home, everybody. Welcome home and welcome back home, everybody. When yeah. you're here, your family, pass the breadsticks. <laughs> Hospitaliano. That's yeah. what I felt We everywhere. call it Hospitaliano. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. Now that Shane is back, as soon as he is feeling a little bit better, we're going to get caught up on our international patron shipments. We got boxes going out to some folks as well as some playmats. Yeah, we've got the full full load for a lot of people. We got the full complement of Patreon swag going out. And we appreciate all y'all uh, being patrons. And other ways you can show your support for us, throw us some reviews over on uh, you know Apple Podcasts, throw us some stars on Spotify. You can use Mana Traders, which is an awesome way to uh, play Magic the Gathering online. It's the way that we play, I think, all of our Magic the Gathering online, unless Stan has been like, I, I need to purchase some shocks and fetches to play my 2000 ticket decks that i can't afford with mana traders have you done that stan stan looks guilty <laughs> but if you use code the dive down 15 you get 10 percent off your first two months of service over at mana traders you can also of course purchase magic the gathering paper cards at nerd rage gaming uh use the code dive eight for eight percent off your order there because as you know we are big fans of nerd rage uh, we're the official podcast of their series the ohio uh, newark ohio series is coming up on the 22nd 
that's pretty soon. So if you're going to think about going to that, um, get yourself registered. It's at the Cherry Valley Hotel and Event Center of Newark, Ohio. Dave, do you know where this is? Because I don't. So Newark, Ohio is about 30 miles east of Columbus. So it's really Columbus, Ohio, uh, but just outside of that. Uh, Cherry Valley sounds lovely this time of year. Uh, I haven't been there in a minute, but yes, it's it's outside of Columbus. So if you're gonna if you're looking for a high level tournament, head out there. What's the format again, Shane? It is a ten thousand dollar trial. It's a team constructed of Pioneer Modern Legacy. Teams always the best, and then the following day is a five thousand modern five thousand dollar modern trial. So get yourself registered for that. It's limited to one hundred teams. So. And they already have 16, So, and that's a couple weeks early. So you know what to do, Ohioans and Ohio-adjacent folks. All right, with all that out of the way, let's do a, a breakdown. We haven't done one of those in a while, but there's a really exciting announcement this week in the wide world of research and development. Our friend Ian Duke is back writing. Uh, it's a passion. Two cards banned and constructed. Standard Meat Hook Massacre is banned. Uh, the... The Meat Hook Massacre. The Ohio State Meat Hook Massacre was banned. (laughs) That was my nickname in college. Uh More importantly, in modern, Yorian Sky Nomad banned once and for all. Slow clap. Yes! Yes! (laughs) But, man, doesn't it feel... I mean, we can talk about this later. Let's talk about the rationale first. Why don't we? Let's just talk about how excited we are that it's banned first. We're excited about this, right? Yeah. Honestly, yes. sorry, sorry, people who love this deck, but I'm excited about this. It's it's like I almost feel like it's like I would have been excited a few months ago. Now I just feel like it's sort of yeah, cool. You finally did it. Yeah, it feels obvious. I, I'm 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 like happy, but not excited because I'm just kind of like we should have been here. As Shane put it a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, you guys are rough. You you don't get excited when things go right, even if it's late. Well, you know what it truly is, is I got excited that it wasn't a card that I feel more emotionally attached to. Yes. Me too. And and also, it makes me happy that I don't have to even consider doing like a Your Rhinos thing any longer. Just the only only answer is now between Teamer and Five Color. I don't have to worry about Yorian options at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about this. Sure. Okay, there's there's a big multi-paragraph announcement. We probably can't read all that, right? We should probably just summarize this. We can try. <laughs> Yorian. We're, we're not- notoriously good at summarizing things succinctly. Yorian most commonly appears as a companion in four-color Omnath decks, which show a strong win rate, and according to our matchup data, are likely to continue to rise in popularity. Likely to continue to rise in popularity is a very weird statement right Footnote now. needed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, yeah, the Wikipedia editors have flagged this section for being unsighted. Um, in addition to game balance concerns with the deck, we're also factoring physical dexterity requirements of playing with a large deck for tabletop. I guess I can't bring my like giant avatar decks anymore with me. You know those big old magic cards? Have you seen those? With those oh, like, yeah. a giant Black Lotus and a giant Chaos Orb? Large deck for tabletop. I mean, hey, I... I'm I'm here with them for all these things. This is all fine, right? Like, yeah. okay, it takes too long to shuffle this card all the time. It leads to repetitive game states. We've seen people talk about that. At this point, there really is only a couple of decks that we're playing Yorian. The the big creativity, or, sorry, the big four color control slash mid range decks, and your rhinos and poor taxes players somewhere crying. <laughs> 
crying to themselves about how one of the cards that they got to be good with was also taken away from them. It's and then they they just lean into like the physical dexterity stuff like in another paragraph and look if you have physical dexterity issues or it has caused reason you know you not to play this card in paper I get it and I appreciate that but like like it's just it's 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 so interesting that they're like really focusing on like the the paper play aspects where it's like it requires modern requires shuffling and physical manipulation of cards and you know if it encourages large decks like yorian does and they have existed in the past but only on the fringes of play so it's just like yeah we get it we get it i mean what about the the power of it yeah i mean i almost feel like that repetitive shuffling isn't actually a yorian problem no it's a modern problem Mm. you know we played creativity last week and Whenever you have turn two Ren and Six, you're shuffling every turn. I don't think Yorian creates that issue specifically. I think that's like a modern fetch land format plus a card like Ren and Six that lets you play a fetch land every turn. Which is not to However, say that I'd rather they banned Ren and Six, but there's just there's like certain omitted details in my opinion here that I think feels like they're almost unwilling to come out with some of the actual reasoning behind banning this card which is that companions are very problematic and Yorian was like one of the most egregious ones. Yeah. Ding. Ding, <laughs> ding, ding. I, it is wild to me. The word companion does not imp- appear <laughs> in this paragraph anywhere other than just saying the card appears as a companion in four-color Omnath decks. <laughs> That's the only place it says it. It doesn't say anything about the fact that companion is cracked in half and we're sorry because that's what this should say. I'm going to be conspiratorial for a second. <sighs> Are you going to tell me you think there's more companions coming? No, 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 no. Okay. Although that would, that would be awesome if there were more companions coming. Um, here's my conspiracy theory. I think there's probably an internal memo at Wizards of the Coast that they can't publicly admit that companions are a mistake until like one day Morrow lets it slip on his blog. I mean, quite possibly. I mean, I he's mean, been... For, for you might remember that he's ha- there's been whole threads on Twitter with Morrow talking to people saying where he was basically like, "Look, I'm the person who made Companion go into Ikoria. Did I make a mistake by trying to do something that I thought was new and interesting?" Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's a discussion. I think that he kind of knows that they overshot the power level on these. But um, anyway, Companion suck. I'm glad they got rid of the the best two now. <laughs> You know, yeah. two down, eight to go, you know? Let's get let's just get to the meat here, right? When they just say, therefore, to make modern as fun, we've seen this rationale before, mm-hmm. and accessible, we see that much less frequently, I'd say, as it can be for all types of players, Yorian Sky Nomad is banned in modern. How do we react to this? What are our actual what are our actual takes besides the ones we've been giving throughout this entire first few minutes? Joy. Relief. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Stan, you go first. Why relief? I mean, you you hinted at it before. Is it because you thought something you cared about more was going to be banned? Yeah, you know, I was worried that expressive iteration, and, and frankly, these cards, I think, probably are still on a watch list somewhere, but like expressive iteration, Renan 6, and Omnath, I think if any of those cards had been banned, no one would have been super surprised. Like, people may have been disappointed, but I, I think like those are all cards that were in contention. Yeah, I will say... Express you kind of just snuck expressive iteration into that set with with Red and Six and Omnath. I think people for a long time have been clamoring for Red and Six and Omnath to be banned. And I do think that they've been on 
sort of the proverbial watch list for a long time. Expressive iteration, people start finally kind of starting to talk about that as maybe being something that is strong enough to ban in modern the same way that was banned in Pioneer, I think is a little new. You know, this was the first ban cycle or the first time that we knew that there was a ban coming up that I felt like a number of people on Twitter were suddenly like, oh gosh, I hope they don't ban EI. Mm -hmm. Some of that's because they already banned it in Pioneer. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I I agree with you that I feel like it's starting to get a bit of a target on its its back as well. Yeah. Shane? Yeah, I mean... I kind of said my piece about like I think the rationale is weird. Like you know, like they they give a lot of stats and other parts of this announcement, not the modern one. They're kind of like these decks have fifty three percent win rates and like and so on. We think things are things are healthy, and all they say about this is like four color Omnath decks have a quote strong win rate. Yeah, like they don't give actual stats like they do for other other aspects of the overall announcement, and it's just like so weird to me that they waited until now to do the ban. Like Yorian was more, much more popular, like and powerful. I think in the previous months, before people actually, I think, moved to attack it more aggressively. Before leyline binding, too. Leyline binding has something to do with uh, with Yorian kind of going down. I think a little bit as well, and also creativity getting better has has to do with that as well. It's it's just so odd that like they just and the, and like the statement like these four color Yorian decks are likely con- to continue to rise in popularity when like we've been seeing their decreasing popularity recently like it feels like a very sort of like lagging announcement or like they they aren't paying active attention to modern in the same way that I feel like they have in some previous announcements maybe I I have been running into it a lot in leagues to be honest. Four um, color? Yeah, like basically every league I run into it at least once and sometimes more often than that. And hey, can I just say a little credit where it's due? I really like this, what I would call a light touch approach. Just like get this one card that a lot of people, including the three of us, have been pretty frustrated by for the last like six months or more. And just like kind of see what happens when, I mean, I think in general we would agree that the format's like not bad. We all, I like it. We, yeah, yeah, we all relatively yeah, enjoy modern good. play. And like just taking out Omnath, I don't think it like kills four color value decks. You mean Yorian? You just said Omnath. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, well, but that's the thing. Like, I don't think it like ruins Omnath, Renin Six, Elemental Piles. I think there's probably still a way to configure them. I and agree. And it'll be nice to kind of see the direction of the format without Yorian sort of being this defining factor. Or, or even like this pillar of the format that doesn't necessarily contribute to the format in a diverse or interesting way, but rather just kind of like goes into 1.8 decks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they were forthcoming in the like second to last paragraph of this. They talk a lot about the manual dexterity thing, which like Shane said, it's great. I, I think if if that's a problem that people have and that I think that's great that they considered that but the 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 gameplay issue with it with finally we've also heard from many players that the repeated triggers caused by yorian and many of the cards surrounding it can lead to repetitive gameplay patterns and long games with lots of downtime between the other players actions that's the the main thing to me that they they said here without just saying oh yeah and by the way you always have yorian in your hand because you can always go and get it thanks to companion which is sort of the second half of this thought it's not just that what Yorian does is repetitive. Repetitive. It's that you always have it. Is that it's repetitive. I mean, that's that's just the wild thing too. Is like they just refuse to rip off this band aid, 
And I mean, again, it's not, I don't think like, you know, Lutri and stuff like that is something that should be banned out of the format necessarily. But like, I mean, I think I just saw some video spike posted the other day that was like calling Gigantha like a broken card. Do you know what I mean? It's just like these cards are still good. You still get free Yaganthas. You still get free Kahiras. I don't think any of those will ever get banned, though. Barring like them just killing the mechanic. Because even though Gigantha and Kahira are free, they don't have the same type of value impact on the decks the way Luris and um, Yorian do. They're way more powerful. I mean, I agree with that. Yes, I just, yes. We'll see. I'm, I'm not quite willing to say they'll never get banned. You know, I think that it might take a long time or it may, might take something really weird happening. Yes. You know, well, like yeah, we barring might, like them being truly broken for any other reason than like you get to start with an extra card just here. new cards coming in hand you know right, like new right, cards right, right. making elementals better something ha- making obosh absurd like sure. who knows but we have we got still we still have pioneer to talk about so what do you think this the impact of this is going to be like do you think there's like new best decks or like what has an up arrow what has a down arrow any thoughts there i think a lot of things have up arrows <laughs> weirdly yeah what do you think the most it, you know, it's hard for me to pinpoint any one thing because I almost feel like the four color piles are just sort of this fun police where a lot of decks have a poor four color matchup. And with the exception of like maybe burn or hammer, fewer decks have really good, easy four color matchups. I think this is like a boon to personally living end. I think that had not a great four color matchup and I think that it, it has a good creativity matchup. And so I think that's one reason that you've, I think I've been seeing a little bit more of it. In Wait, living results. end has a good creativity matchup. Mm-hmm. This is okay. what I keep hearing. I believe okay. it. I believe a, a, living end is a great answer to Archon. Yeah. I mean, what's, Except what's, unless you have Archons in the graveyard when they cast living. Well, ends. I mean that you have to play, you have to play in a special way. You have to play in a way to like make that happen versus like living and just has to do what it's going to do. I mean, you have fable. I'm just saying, all right, anyway, yeah, but, that, that, but, we'll but if that. you're playing fable on three, that means you're putting Archon in your graveyard on four, which means which is by, too late. Yeah. By then, like they've cycled three cards and possibly like set up a violent outburst. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, and like, I think, I mean, I think Yogg is something that, you know, I think doesn't love playing as four color control. That should see an improvement. Although Yogg's one of those decks where people don't sort of pivot to it like they might Living End. Uh, Murktide, of course, had a poor four color matchup, and so this removes like one of that deck's biggest enemies. But you know, maybe it'll get to fifty percent win rate now. I just don't think that we can say like it, you're talking a little bit like this deck is not going to exist anymore, and I I think that this deck is still going to exist in some form there will still be a four color money pile renin six control deck i don't know what's going to be in it it might be elementals instead it might be still ei and stuff i know that there's a lot of people who are like well it's never this mana base is never going to work with only 60 cards in the deck and i'm like i don't know like (laughs) people are not going to play have not been fixing mana bases by playing decks with more than 60 cards in them ever so i do think that this deck and this deck before yorian existed there was close to this deck it just had uro and you know ice fan coaddle and stuff like that back in the day you know so i i think that we shouldn't pretend like the deck is going to be gone. It's just going to losing one of its most consistent tools that it had available to do lots and lots of different things. But the cards in this deck are still very good. Yeah, I, and I'll even add to that. I think we might continue to see multiple iterations of four color that just aren't Yorian piles. Like 
we could still have a um, Elementals version with Risen Reef, or we can have a more controlling version with things like Teferi, Ephemerate, Ewit, etc. You might see combo versions. I mean, I saw Andrea Mungucci on his flight back home to Italy from America, you know, since we just exchanged Shane for him. High-fiving Shane in the air. Yeah, exactly. Posted a list of 60-card, four-color Vivian on the hunt combo, which I don't know if you remember that that was a combo that started to emerge in, in four color at a different point at one point in time where they wanted, you know, a combo, a creature combo out. Like that's something that people are going to be experimenting with too. They were already experimenting with these things in different metas. It's just, they took like the 5% of consistency off the top of this deck by getting rid of Yorian and like, let's see what happens from here. Yeah. You know, but are you all so ready for people to just constantly talk about banning Renin Six now because it's coming. <laughs> I'm surprised that that the, the, our Discord was not just filled with people <laughs> angry about Renin Six not getting banned. There was sort of a "oh, this is a good ban" kind of vibe mm-hmm. in in the chat and people trying to figure out what would happen next. But um, that discourse is going to continue really real soon after this. I think, depending on what happens. Yeah, but if it weren't Renin Six, it would be something else. That's you're, just you're, that's your right. modern discourse, right? Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. It's what keeps us in business. You know what I'm saying? Heck Join yeah. our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. If you want to hear more band speculation every, I don't know, six weeks or so. Were you, are you in the camp of not to open up a whole other can of worms? A lot of people seem to think that cards were going to get unbanned oh, in this yeah. cycle too. I, I kind of don't feel like that's coming for a while with anything around, but maybe, I guess. Why unbanned cards when you can just print Modern Horizons 3? Correct. Great yes. take, Shane. I agree with that. Why unban Splinter Twin when you can just print print Splinter Twan? Twins. <laughs> yeah. Splinter Twang. It just wears a yes. little cowboy hat. <laughs> I heard that was an infinity. All right. Do you want to talk about Pioneer real briefly? I, how they, how they I, didn't ban anything? Yeah, I think we can talk about it for a minute. Shane, why don't you give us the the high All level right. of the paragraph here that they had for All pioneer right. well so uh pioneer looks to be in quote a good place as we head into the regional championship qualifier season in november and december uh wide variety of strategies blah 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 um the most played deck is practice mid-range on magic online with a 13 percent mid-range metagame share note that that's much less than what goldfish states so that does indicate that Goldfish's metrics, you know, a little bit different than the actual metrics. None of the top 20 most played decks, interesting cutoff, have a non-mirror match win rate of more than about 53%. And and this is funny. In general, we've heard a lot of positivity from players about the state of the format. So long story short, they think everything's fine because decks have uh, no non-mirror win rates of about 53%. Even even decks that have 13% meta shares. Yeah, so I don't know. What can I say to that? Like, it, it's 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 kind of a weird numbers they're using here. To top twenty decks. Is it that weird? Top top twenty is not that weird. I I almost that's feel a lot like of decks. I almost feel like, well, that's what I'm saying. Is I almost feel like they're making a point to say, look, we looked at twenty decks that we see on on Magic Online, and none of them have a non mirror that's even at fifty five percent. That that's pretty big sample. Well, let, I mean, here's what I'm thinking. Like, let's say, well, let's say Rakdos has like a bunch of like sort of obscure-ish, like, you know, 0.1, sub 1%, like Niv to Light, Mono Black Aggro, things like that, right? Like, is that what is bringing the Rakdos mid-range win percentage down to 53%? And like, if you look to the top 10, it would be like 56%. Like, I don't know the answer to that, right? 
No, that's not that's not what they're saying here, though. None of the most top twenty most played decks have a non mirror match. They're just saying that if they take out the mirror matches, no, no matter what they play, none of them are above fifty three percent. They're not. I mean, they're not. Yeah, that seems good then. That's really good. I mean, that's really impressive. That's really hard to do to a metagame. Like that usually is something that comes from like active nerfing and buffing, like in Runeterra, where like they're constantly hammering like the fifty seven percent deck down to like fifty three. You know what I mean? I mean that that on its face makes it sound like Pioneer is a balanced format, if that's true. I know that people on this podcast don't love the feel of it. Stan, you have things to say. Well, does our experience match the description provided in Duke's article? I mean, their description is merely that decks have okay win rates. It's not really anything about nobody fun. has a broken win rate. No one, no one has a broken win rate, and then it says no one. They're not really saying anything about repetitive. Uh, Repetitive play experiences, mono green, uh, anything like it's just, it's weird how, you know, that's, they basically say no one's complaining, apparently. And yeah, so we're not going to do It's very anything. clinical. I don't love it. I, I guess I just have to agree to disagree. I think having Karn combo in mono green is not okay, but if people are beating it through some strategies, that's probably just indicative that I don't play enough Pioneer to explore those solutions to what I consider a problem. It's What's what's weird to me though is that people are playing the decks like the top decks of the format have a huge uh, metagame share, but they're not that much better than other decks. So you know, so we're hearing from Watsi, and so it's just usually we see metagames naturally adjust to be like, okay, well, let's find the fifty-seven percent deck, but it's maybe that doesn't exist because of just pioneers' power level flatness or what. But it's just it's wild that like you know thirteen ish percent are still sticking with a deck that has you know a slightly higher than 50 percent win rate yeah yeah i mean for what it's worth when i play pioneer which is like once a month i still have fun playing pioneer and i'm gonna start playing more pioneer as we get ready to go to atlanta because all the events are pioneer i don't even know if any of the last chance qualifiers are modern or whatever like i'm just gonna try to be a little more up on it as we go over the next six weeks or so and um i'm moderately excited by that like that's fine another place to play rakdos mid-range in i guess but um i still have fun doing it i fully agree with you stan though that like after playing mono green a couple weeks ago when you and i talked about it you know my feelings about even piloting that deck is like i don't want to play it and i don't think it's good that it has a combo in it i think it's absurd too so i i I do kind of wish they would have acted to make that more fun so bottom line Pioneer, no changes, kind of surprised, but also they have a big, they have this big tournament coming up that's like worldwide. So I get it. But wouldn't it have been so exciting? Wouldn't it have been awesome if they just took the combo out of mono green? Like Nykthos, I think actually may have been a bridge too far, but like just ban Karn or Cauldron or some crap and just like see what happens. I think that would have made the RC even more exciting. Yeah, I mean, they they did used to do that before Pro Tours. I mean, in, most infamously, they banned Splinter Twin about three weeks or something before uh, Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch. And um, that's, uh, that was exciting. And then wasn't that the Pro Tour that Eldrazi took like six of the top eight? Oh, yeah, it was it was absurd. Um, anyway, I, I will say, yeah, so Mono Green hit it. I, I did think it was interesting how many people were calling for something to be straight up banned out of Rakdos, which is just shows how much people don't like being thought seized, I yeah. think, because it's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. You know, look at this. Rakdos isn't even that good. Like, none of the decks are that good on the, by themselves, apparently, according to Wizards. 
I can agree with that, that none of the ducks in Pioneer are that good. (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's true, though. All right. This was fun. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to dive into Red Black Scam in modern. That's right. It's scamming time. Stay with us. It's October. It's spooky. There's skeletons and jack-o'-lanterns climbing up the walls of my neighbor's houses, but they're not real. I don't think they can hurt me. My neighbors busted out like they're like, you know, 10-foot ones. Oh, man. They have three of them now. And the horse. I love it. Speaking of speaking of a topic for this, this ad break. Yeah. We got not one, not two, not three, but four horses. Barrister Man introducing the Four Horsemen Collection. It's out. It's out, baby. Order it. Famine. Plague. Death. I've never seen Barrister Man do anything quite like this. It's not just fragrances anymore. They've got a Four Horsemen hat, t-shirt, decals. You can even buy entire sets of all four fragrances if you want all the soaps, all the splashes, all the balms. Get the entire line in one sweet package. I like that on the webpage, it's like, the Four Horsemen, the t-shirt, the Four Horsemen, the hat. It's like, Spaceballs, the movie. Spaceballs, the t-shirt. Spaceballs, the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Dive down the hat. Dive down the t-shirt. Dive oh, down the... Yeah, you should order all those things, too. You know what else? You, it's time to start thinking about holiday shopping. It is time. You're right. You don't want it to be December 20th. You're, you're a couple days into Hanukkah. Christmas is right around the corner, and you're like, oh, golly, I don't have gifts yet for my in-laws. Yeah, what kind of garbage can I get on Amazon Prime that they will know came from Amazon Prime? Right. Don't do that. Instead, check out these collections over at Barrister and Man. And when you do, if you use promo code the Dive Down 15 you'll get 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man on any of the Four Horsemen or other amazing products fragrances or collections that they offer yeah we've been pointing this out but uh you know if you just want to try them all you know while they're still in there you're like well i don't know which i'm gonna like the most you get the 5.99 shaving soap sampler of each of them and then you get to try them all and then you get to pick the one you like the most and then you get to go and then everything's great so i'm looking forward to getting those samples uh from will over at barrister and man because i want to smell like war and and famine maybe i'll mix them Gentlemen, yeah, it's scamming time. Oh, perfect. I keep saying that because I've been watching random clips of Power Ranger reruns and highlights. Really? I'm not joking. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm like a big, uh, big Morbin guy. I don't know. My TikTok algorithm noticed that I watched one. So now it's just only Dude, sending me more. It's irrevocably broken. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the Instagram algorithm. If you watch one thing. That's all you get. You just get so much of that same person or that same topic. It's just like, look, I watched it once. I'm not like the newest, biggest fan. I'm not married to the reaction chef. Just stay off Instagram. I I don't use Instagram. Well, you're on Twitter, David. Oh, God. You got different algorithms on you. I have a different problem. It's true. (laughs) But um, Stan, I'm really happy to be back for this. One One of these hot new decks of modern, quote unquote. 
Yeah, you've been talking about trying this deck for a while, so I'm going to be very excited to hear whether or not your expectations matched your experience. Sure. We'll find out. But this week, we're back on one of the relatively newer decks in the format. It's another deck dive, two weeks in a row. Whoa. Talking about Rakdos Midrange. Yes. Can we please call this Rakdos Midrange, or as Zach suggested last week, Rakdos Elementals, which I actually think is a much better <laughs> name than Rakdos Scam. Kind of hate Scam. But Can we I mean, not that? It's not an Elementals deck. I mean, it's just Rakdos Midrange, but it's good Rakdos Midrange. Yes, I agree with that. It's just Rakdos Midrange. And here's how much it's just Rakdos Midrange. Yes. You might remember right after Modern Horizons 2 came out, Everett, Aspiring Spike, friend of the show, one of the first 5-0s that he posted was with Luris-powered Rakdos Midrange, thanks to cards like Ragavan, Dalthy Voidwalker, Kroxa, Turok, Lightning Bolt, Thoughtseize. Do you remember these cards being in a, in a deck that was yeah. vaguely popular for a minute there, right after Modern Horizons 2 came out? Yeah, like Did, when Luris was still around. Right. This it, deck it had a name, right? Wasn't that Rakdos Rock? Some Rack people Rock. call it Rakdos Rock. Yeah. Yeah. I also that was also Rakdos Midrange, though, in my opinion. And really, I think that what this is, and Blood Moon, you know, of course, the Blood Moon in that deck, there's Blood Moon in this deck. I think that really what kind of happened. Put Blood Moon into a Luris deck. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Of course it did. My bad. Forgot about Luris already. It had Liliana of the Veil instead, Dave. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Also, because of Luris. <laughs> this one has Liliana of the Veil sometimes. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. These cards are okay, right? Like, they're good. Ragavan's the best creature in the format. Dalthy Voidwalker is fine and randomly hoses some decks here or there. Thoughtseize, Bolt, Colgan's Command, Terminate. They're cards that all have their place right now in different decks with more complicated mana bases than this deck has. Blood Moon goes in different decks. They make an okay deck. Yes. And with Luris this was a shell that was pretty powerful because you could recycle cards. Sometimes you played bobble to be able to draw extra things, or you always played bobble to be able to draw extra things. So after Luris was banned, this shell kind of lost its way for a little bit. And I think that what we're looking at is just Rakdos midrange that figured out something powerful enough to do that keeps up with the rest of the format. Dave, what is that powerful thing to do? And here it is. That powerful thing to do is to scam people <laughs> with elementals with elementals and draft chaff. So what you do is you do the thing that people were afraid of when grief was first spoiled, mm -hmm. when Modern Horizons 2 was coming out, which is basically you cast grief, you pitch a card from your hand to, to evoke grief, and then you cast a spell that keeps it from going to the graveyard, or in this case, sort of takes advantage of it going to the graveyard to get an additional trigger and get a persistent turn one, one mana, four, three, that just made your opponent discard two cards. It's basically like casting a Turok on yeah. them with Kicker. 4-3 with Menace, no less. Hard right, to with block. With Menace, yeah. And you do the same thing with this, or you do it with Fury. And both of them are somewhat formidable threats. They do different things. Fury, of course, is a more powerful threat on its face. But that's the, the powerful thing that's been grafted onto this deck to make this shell of cards be able to keep up with the other powerful things that are going on in modern, like violent outbursts into two four fours on turn three. Like that's what this deck does. And it has seven slots dedicated to cards like undying malice that bring a creature that went to the graveyard back this turn, back to the battlefield. That's, that's all it is. Now, Dave, you mentioned something that I've completely forgot about, which was after grief was spoiled, people were, 
really nervous about grief plus ephemerate. Right. And this is that deck, but you're just not playing ephemerate. You're playing like feign death and undying malice, which yep. our cards will define in a bit. I don't know if if you ever felt like you would rather have had an ephemerate, but I almost wonder if this deck is built to exploit that synergy because it is so good without having to play underpowered white spells. I think that's 100% what this deck is trying to do. And and yeah, and playing better red spells like Ragavan, mm-hmm. <laughs> Blood Moon. Terminate. Terminate, yeah. So before we go further, Shane put together a nice kind of history of you where know, this deck came from. You know, we're talking about the proto deck before people really tried this other stuff, but where, where where's the story of this iteration of you know, Rakdos Midrange? What's funny is, you know, I think most people started noticing you know, Rakdos Scam, Rakdos Midrange, Rakdos Elementals, whatever you want to call it, is like when, when former pro Pascal Maynard started doing well with it, like uh, in March of this year, he t- I remember like on the 19th of March, he took it to like this modern 5K and then a team trio event and he did really well with it. He tweeted about it. And I remember after that, he was, I think he took it to some top 32s of challenges and things like that. So we were like, what is what is this weird deck that Pascal Maynard is playing? Is that actually Pascal Maynard or is someone using Pascal Maynard's name on Magic Online? And then, so I kind of assumed that's when it kind of was getting going. Yeah, a bunch of people in the in the chat being like, this can't be a good deck with feign death yes. in it. <laughs> Like what a what a what a weird meme. He must have just been playing out of his mind. Uh, but after doing more digital archaeology, I found like echoes of this deck going all the way back to late November of 2021. So Professor French, who now goes by PT Bench on Twitter, effectively made the same deck or played the same deck to a five O, uh, and it's almost the same it's like it's impressively similar there's there's a lot of two ofs which is like kind of the the beginning of a lot of decks it's like well i just i'll just play two of a lot of different things to see what works here like village rights or kcom inquisition of kozilek spike field hazard stuff like that and you know but largely the the conceptual fundamentals of this deck the creature suite everything were in place and then it took a little bit of time but by march you know pascal was making this deck more well known snowball was rolling and then over the last three months, especially, um, Goldfish has Rakdos midrange at like 4% of the meta of the last three months. And then the last month, it's 6% of the meta, which is more evidence of its growing popularity. So really, we've seen a deck go from uh, kind of meme curiosity to a modern staple over the past 10 months or so without any real significant additions to the card pool. Um, because there's not a lot of like really new set cards that this deck is running. Sounds weirdly like the deck we talked about last week, right? Indomitable Creativity, where lots of people had different types of results with it. Uh, it kind of was under the radar until the last couple of months suddenly comes to the foreground. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's a cool deck. I'm glad we get to suddenly you know finally play it rather. And you know, I think uh, in our notes. I want to you know, personally give a, a hat tip out to a player called Sprouts. Like uh, when I was doing my digital archaeology, I saw the name Sprouts quite a bit, and also also happened to be the primer that we read on MysticalTeachings.com. It really helped us kind of learn a lot about the deck and understand some of the you know eccentricities and whatnot. Digital archaeologist was Shane's stage name when he toured with Animal Collective. It's just me on an IBM ThinkPad. 
one time when I was in high school, I did what I thought was like an electronic music performance as part of class, a class project. And at the end of the class project, we just boiled ramen noodles in a microwave for some reason as like the, the last note of the, the thing. That's I, I still don't know why Dave. we did that. It was very, very, very performance already. So you haven't got to just completely ignore that and move on. So, uh, you know, Rakdos Undying, Rakdos Blink. I'm just going to use eight different names for this deck. It's really like Dave was getting at. It's just a mid-range deck, and it has, like mid-range decks do, both proactive and reactive game plans and cards that support those game plans. So, like, you know, whether your proactive game plan is evoking grief or fury and then, uh, you know, feign-deathing it, or, you know, and then or it's, you get your reactive cards, like, you know, bolts and fatal push or terminate you know it's like you have a proactive game plan you have a reactive game plan you get to play some cool cards you get to use some removal spells a lot of stuff going on here so should we hop into what actually makes this deck tick let's do it mr wick let's start with the right. elementals the bat the most interesting cards in the deck for the sure backbone right, for by sure. far the yeah. coolest cards in the deck i mean the freest cards in the deck yeah, this is the power of the deck. So the two elementals in this deck, you're not surprised by this, of course, but they are Grief and Fury. And, you know, they're awesome cards on their own. They let you do all kinds of different things. Lots of different decks run them for different reasons. And the thing here is, as we said earlier, you either try to make a 4-4 double striker that kills a bunch of their creatures or just dodges their removal, or you try to grief them and end up with a 4-3 menace and take the two best cards in their hand on turn one. That's That's the deal. Yeah. I mean, this is finally a good grief deck, right? Because, like, I think everyone's been waiting for a good enough grief deck, and I think this is the only one that's actually working, I think, for a few reasons, right? And it's that it has enough black cards. But you know, We know that black is not the best color in modern, really, and this is the deck that comes closest enough to having enough of them to reliably both evoke grief, and then use those same crappy cards to keep grief on the battlefield and trigger it again. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly like the deck that is built the most around grief as a card mm-hmm. right now, right? There are a lot of decks that try to use it as a piece. You know, sometimes it ends up in living end because it's pretty powerful there. And so that can be used as a, it's not always there, but it's off there quite often. Um, but this deck is all about wanting to be able to hand to Turok, your opponent on turn one and just take their cards. And, um, you know, one thing that's interesting is that I think people feel like the four, four play, the four, four double striker play on turn one is the real headline here. But I actually, as I played the deck more and more, and I read through sprouts is primer about the deck. That's when I realized that really what you want to be doing is trying to mess with your opponent's hand yeah, above everything yeah. else. And that's because a turn one grief it's more impactful. Like at that point, you're really trading for cards in a way that turn one fury, especially if you're on the plate, it just doesn't like a turn one right. fury. You're resigning a card disadvantage for the sake of here's a threat. That's actually really hard to kill early in the game. Yeah. I mean, grief is just strictly card advantage. You spent two cards for two cards of your choosing in their hand and you got a creature on the board. So right. win, win. It's like the evilest mall drifter ever. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's a good question, Dave. Is like, I found myself in some of my matchups, specifically control matchups, where I didn't think they would have particularly good removal against something like a turn one fury. I found myself spewing a turn one fury fury onto the board uh, when I could, 
and then riding that to victory a number of times. But I'm curious how often you guys were doing that, either in the blind or in particular matchups during your, your leagues. Stan? I think, given the choice between the two, I prefer to start with Grief. If, if you have no other option, Fury is fine. I think the effectiveness of the turn one Fury is a little matchup dependent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would agree. Like, in, 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 I think you always do the turn one grief and not the turn one fury if you have the choice. But like, I'm kind of like thinking, like, you know, I'm mulling to six, and one of my options is a turn one fury. I will very gladly do it in a pinch, depending on the matchup. Yeah, however, there, there is a little more removal out there floating around that kills the turn one fury than you might feel like there is or at the beginning of when i was playing the deck it felt like that was the right thing to do like i said a moment ago it felt like that was the right thing to do and then i started realizing oh well ley line binding certainly takes a lot out of that plan you know you you only get to hit them once with it um also unholy heat really takes a lot out of that plan and so if someone's playing with dragon's rage channel or like murktide or something like that and their and your uh fury resolves then they often are able to turn on unholy heat pretty early as well so you can lose your fury pretty early to lots a, a few different cards that people play a lot still at first it felt really impervious to me but then i you know started to really get a sense again of of what was going on there now on the other hand grief just straight up dies a lightning bolt and so that makes that's a problem as well yeah but that's, i mean the benefit of that is you can you can strip your opponent's hand of the things that kill your grief, which is kind of like the idea, right? So like that's that's kind of the draw. It's like, hey, I'm gonna take away their their early interaction that could possibly kill my grief. I'm gonna take out their kind of early creatures, or maybe something like their really powerful turn three play or something like that. Those are all kind of options you have. Can we talk about stacking triggers really quickly here? Oh god, I'm so bad at it. Okay. You have to stack the evoke trigger so that it resolves last and the discard trigger of resolves first when you play grief why is that i mean you don't really have to it's just like strictly better to right yes but why why do you really need to do that san in case they have instant speed graveyard hate it, that's a great one the other one is in case they have spell pierce because they can spell pierce your feign death to make you only have one trigger then and if you play it the other way they can't spell pierce your grief right so you get to resolve your first discard trigger see their hand take their one mana counter spell potentially and then play the feign death on your creature after the trigger resolves oh, before the evoke trigger resolves that's much better super important against blue decks to be able to have that look at their hand and take one card before you're forced to decide whether you're going to cast feign death or not i mean a lot of times when i open their hand and like let's say i played against somebody who had two spell pierces i often went ahead and feign death anyway in that situation just to make them play the spell pierce so that i still got two cards out of their hand for in the exchange i just lost my creature yeah but um yeah i think that that's a pretty that's super important when you're playing grief is that you make sure that you get that look first because the other thing that you get is um lightning bolt and so if they try to cast lightning bolt in response to the trigger then you can do feign death in response to their lightning bolt and use it as use feign death as a counter spell basically mm. um so it's important. Do it. Make sure you do it. I will. Yeah, there's a lot of like, it's definitely one of those things like you have to get better at reading the stack on Magic Online 
than you might normally because the ordering does matter and like the timing of when you cast your feign death and things like that, like you said, Dave, uh, has a big impact on what could possibly happen and what your opponent can do to take advantage of you kind of doing it willy-nilly. Yeah. All right, so we got the elementals. They're good. They're kind of the whole reason this deck exists because I think otherwise, like you're just playing... I mean, Reactivist Midrange does exist in the format, but I think that this deck is more consistently successful lately. And I think it's because you get to play free elementals. And as we know, adding those to your deck usually makes it better in Modern Horizons 2 era modern. All right, Ragavan. I mean, you know what this is. Oh, can you remind me? Can you read the Oracle text? Can I get Judge? Can I get the Oracle text on Ragavan? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can. It's it's the best creature in modern. That's what the Oracle text says. So why, why Ragavan in this deck? Well, one, it's another turn one option. And two, I think this deck does a really good job of letting you take advantage of what you want to be doing with Ragavan, which is making treasures. Because you have removal in like some mix of Terminate and Fatal Push and Fury, but you also have essentially protection in your Undying spells, mm-hmm. and you have Looting Outlets. So your Fable of the Mirror Breaker, your Season Pyromancer, you can discard redundant copies if you are so lucky to yeah. have a you know Ragavan stick around, and you're like, well... I don't have any. I just have more in my hand. I'm just flooded with Ragavans. Well, you can discard them or loot them away and draw new cards. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of lets you use. It doesn't let you use all parts of the Buffalo because Ragavan has like what two parts. But it lets you kind of I think take full advantage of what you want to do with Ragavan as opposed to just have it as a. That's why it's not in Burn and it is in this deck. Yeah, I like your point about the removal spells. Terminate Fatal Push Fury. In addition to the hand disruption that. Grief offers, but other cards in the deck offer too. Ragavan, in the absence of a turn one undying play, lets you play a Rakdos tempo strategy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and also that that protection thing that Shane was talking about is huge too. So the tempo there can be my cheap one mana spell protects my threat that you want to kill as well. It's similar to what, honestly, what Murktide tries to do with Ragavan realistically. And I think much like Murktide, and Ragavan, it's like, hey, I'm presenting a threat that needs to be dealt with. But also, like, this deck is great at dashing out of Ragavan, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, 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 you totally took the words out of my mouth. Sorry, I, I man. Think what, no, no, no. I, I love what you, what you said there. Because I think one of the things that makes Grief maybe sometimes worse than Turn 1 Fury is that Grief dies to Bolt. Even if it has the 1-1 counter on it. And if you are getting cards out of your opponent's hand, so you're essentially 3-for-1-ing them. Because you took 2 cards... And then a removal spell out of their hand, your turn to dash Dragavan becomes a pretty scary threat that they either have to keep up open mana or put down a blocker or like try to dodge hand removal and your other interaction. Because after you've traded so many resources that has impacted their hand, I think sometimes Ragavan is kind of like your best way to st- to maintain an advantage or just like keep the game stable before you find like some late game closer. And you have stuff to do with your mana. I mean, you, you dash it in, you get uh, a treasure, and then you're like, sweet, I got up to five mana so I can hard cast my fury. And then I've got another threat for you to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so, like, mm-hmm. this it's just a really very solid Ragavan deck because it's not much like in Rakdos midrange of old, it's not just trying to be like a turn one play. It's like you get to really utilize it in every every part of your game and you can use it intelligently, I think, or even unintelligently in my case, and still get a lot out of it. All right, Dalthy Voidwalker is the 
one of the two drops of choice in this deck. You know, it card is very uh, middle medium. I mean, I think people thought it was going to be really, really good I when I it was, it was spoiled, and it's fine, but it is kind of middle, right? I think it's like a passable two drop on rate as just a, a two minute three two unblockable that is sometimes a banger against opposing graveyard strategies, yeah. including the, the mirror, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, that this is one of the cards that I will frequently side out if my opponent's graveyards just are irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to have your deck be aggro here. So you don't have to keep it just to have an aggressive, you know, a high power two drop. You don't need to have it just to have a blood tithe harvester or whatever in your deck that you right. attack with. Like yeah. you want the graveyard thing to be important. I mean, it's, it's nice that it's unblockable. It also doesn't block and like, you know, the sort of the incidental stuff, it does work with like, you know, your discard spells and stuff like that, where every once in a while you can do something real bonkers and cast the card from the uh, X, you know, whatever the, the counter it puts on the things it, it's uh, you get to do that fun stuff where you sacrifice Dothy and get an Emrakul and you know right. live the dream. But yeah, largely it's like it drains your mana because it's black, black, and you don't really always want to have black, black sometimes, and sometimes it's kind of a challenge. But you know, it's it's like a totally fine card. Yep, exactly. Two things: Blood Tithe Harvester. You said that in passing, David, but that's an interesting example to cite since you can pitch it to both Fury and Grief, and it's a two mana three two. Strictly better. I. I <laughs> It's, you know, it's one of those cards so crazy, it just might work, right? Well, I cite it because it's my least favorite card in Rakdos Mid and Pioneer. Yes. And it's, it, and it's similarly in Rakdos Mid and Pioneer for the same reason that, for example, Sprout says, but other people say that Dalphy Voidwalker is in this deck as well, is because it's the only two-drop that's good that's available in Modern. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Dalphy Voidwalker is fine. It's got a lot of text on it. It's a Modern Horizons 2 card. Right. You should probably just be playing it. But. Man, I, you know what's funny is I do want to just be like, why don't we just play Dark Confidant? Let's just see what happens. Well, then you get your, then you draw like you Fury. Die to Fury. Yeah, you just die yeah. to your Fury. Yeah, it's not going to work. Big grief. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the, what's doing the Dark Confidant imitation here, more or less, which is Season Pyromancer. I think this, yes. this card gets seen in varying numbers, which surprises me because I feel like this is a really good Season Pyromancer deck. I totally agree. This is the mm-hmm. favorite deck for me that I've played Season Pyromancer in in a long time. Agreed. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it just does all the things you want CZ to be doing. Like, it's drawing you cards because you're throwing away a lot of cards. It's creating bodies, which is just always good. And again, it can be protected with Undying Spell to, like, repeat the process if you so are inclined. Like, my my list ran three, and I think I chose that list because it ran three. And I was like, I want card draw in this deck. And I thought it was awesome. I totally agree. And I can't like the number of jams that I got out of by trying to uh by using the undying spell on this when it was dying when I used it as a chump blocker to mm-hmm. just get two more cards. It's fantastic. And let's talk about why drawing cards is so important in this deck. Shane hints mm. at it, right? Because <laughs> you are you run card negative. Constantly. I can't think of another deck where I was just so frequently Top decking, hellbent, like by turn four or five. Yeah, totally and, agree. And, and Spyro is just sort of your way to stay in the game a lot of times if your trading resources hasn't put you at an early advantage because your opponent may have had interaction. Like maybe you got hit by a solitude or a lightning bolt or a tr- even, you know, 
a terminate. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't really know how you can play this deck and think Season Power Mancer is like a questionable, like an off, like an option in my opinion. Like just simply because of how the deck just requires you to spend cards in inefficient ways sometimes, and you have to refill. And like you're yes. not gonna you're not gonna play like three Knights Whispers. I agree. Although I I do there is one way that you can see this card as an option that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but sure. I I think it's very good card, and I had a lot of fun playing it. And then finally, Kroxa, usually just like a one or two of. Sometimes I think sometimes I felt it's just kind of like there. Like it's not a great Kroxa deck. Hated it. I hate. I love Kroxa. I hated it in this deck. Got to be honest. I mean, it's, guys, you, uh, do you love you it? Live the dream. You and dying I completely it a few disagree. Times? I I love. I never did that because it doesn't work how you wanted to. But I actually because if oh yeah, you have to escape it. Yeah, yeah, you have to escape it for it to stick around. So if you're just putting undying malice on it it's just you're again just kind of two for one in yourself just to take two cards out of their hand it's just like double it's three mana for two thought seasons that you don't get to pick it's some it's mind rot right true but i will say because i was hellbent so often and like if i was facing up against interactive decks and i again like i was playing against four color control a lot so it's just like a lot of my turn one griefs and furies were getting solituded I felt like Kroxa was the way I was just kind of like eventually closing games. Um, either because the trigger burning my opponent for three gave me a little extra reach or my graveyard would just get so full of cards at a certain point because of fetches, my my stuff hitting the graveyard, other interaction, what have you. Like Kroxa was just like the way to close out a game as kind of like this really big threat that provides you immediate value. Here, here's the problem I had with it. And I could be wrong. Cause, but like I said, I've loved Kroxa in like shadow for a long time. I never wanted to spend two mana to play this card, to have it go to the graveyard, which is fine. Sure. You can discard it to Pyromancer, discard it to Fable or whatever, but it just always felt like really awkward because I always wanted to be something to be doing something else on turn two rather than that. Whether that was dashing Ragavan, playing a removal spell, I I, I don't know. Like for yeah. this one, it just didn't it just didn't hit for me in this one. In fact, so much that the second list that I kind of went back to when I did a second league with this deck, I just cut Kroxa completely from the deck and didn't even run it. Interesting. I I don't disagree. Like it's not the turn two play I want to make. But it's the late game play I often wanted to make. And there would be a lot of situations where I was happier with a late game Kroxa than a late game Grief, for instance. But this deck's all about the early game when you're That's doing true. that stuff in yeah. some ways. Ideally. If, you're, if it's humming, it's about the early game. That's Even though sure. it's a mid-range deck. But I mean, You know what the best thing about Kroxa is, Dave, is that you just pitch it to Fury and Grief. So there we, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. So I actually think that's a pretty big plus for this card realistically to, mm-hmm. for a reason to play it because it's one of it's a card that you're okay pitching you don't really want to get rid of terminate terminate's good in so many different yeah. matchups i mean sometimes you'll you'll get rid of whatever if you think that grief is the right thing to do of course you know turn one grief but i, I do think that's a point in croak's favor shane for real are right, we talked about the creatures yeah i feel like this deck is i mean besides the elementals i feel like it's a little bit more about the spells and Dave, why don't you tell us about how these kind of how the how this undying stuff actually works? Yeah, so I'm going to read the first one. I'm going to read the ones that are the same card. So undying malice and feign death, they're literally the same. 
It's black for an instant that says, Until end of turn, target creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. The same card. Two of these are the same card. You know, you this is this is what you do is that very you, easy for you rule of eight needs. Cast it. You you're gonna have a lot of these. Fortunately, they do stuff a little bit more than just be part of the combo. You can use them as one a one uh, mana piece of protection, like we talked about earlier, that can bring a creature back, bring a, a creature that someone might not expect you to use this on, like a Ragavan or a seasoned pyromancer. Sometimes, you know, someone kills your grief after you do the big play when you have mana up and you have another one of these in your hand. So then you play it to bring back your creature, your grief again. So these these cards are surprisingly surprisingly flexible, I think, especially when you know that they're part of your plan. How does this work with Evoke? Well, I mean, Evoke, of course, is that you exile the card from your hand, but Evoke is you the creature dies. It's sacrificed. So because it goes to the battlefield this turn, it just returns to the battlefield again. Like, it's a, it's a normal death for the Evoked creature. There's nothing special about it. It's just like a combat death. So these cards apply. The conditions for these cards apply. And it's also why, like, Graveyard Hate or, like, like uh, rest in peace or Leyline of the Void means your creature doesn't actually hit the graveyard, so it doesn't actually die. So that's why they don't work there, right? And then uh, it also gives your opponents, like, this opportunity to use sort of trigger, like, a activated graveyard hate to kind of zap your creature out while it's still in the graveyard, but before it re-enters the battlefield, right? Yeah, hugely important, because Unlicensed Hearse, Stan's favorite card from Streets of New Capenna, is everywhere. And it's used everywhere. Ledger Shredder is probably actually your favorite. I see you thinking. I imagine Ledger Shredder you'd like better. But anyway, uh, it's hugely important because there's so many things that have this kind of passive graveyard hate part to them now. People are looking for it. And it does hurt your combo a lot. And we can talk a little bit about thinking about sideboarding and what to do when someone brings in graveyard hate against you. But let's save that for a minute because there's two other cards that show up in this deck a lot. There's Undying Evil, which also is a single black. It's a lot like these other two cards, but it just is from Dark Ascension, and it gives a creature Undying, which says if it doesn't have a 1-1 counter on it, it comes back to play when it dies with a 1-1 counter on it. We're all familiar with that from playing against Yawgmoth. And then it has Malakir Rebirth, which is a double-faced card from... Uh, what's that Zendikar set? Is that one called Zendikar Rising? Yeah, um, Zendikar again. Zendig- Zend again. And this card still says, zending after all these years. Exactly. Weekend at Zendies too. Uh, choose target creature. You you lose two life until end of turn. That creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner control. Look, people play some combination of these cards that basically adds up to seven, right? Yeah. So there's it's basically two feigned death, two undying malice, two Malika rebirth, one undying evil. That's what you see in a lot of the lists. I will say I have to very much, I, I really agreed with the Sprout, again, the primer, after reading through some of these cards. At first, I was kind of like, wow, Undying Evil is amazing. Why isn't everybody playing Undying Evil all the time? Well, the reason is that the Undying, mostly that one gets played as one of, and the reason is because it doesn't affect a creature that already has a counter on it. So you can't use it to save a, a creature that already has been feigned death or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. That's enough of a knock-on consistency for me that in the the second build that I tried, I just cut Undying Evil. I was like, I'm not playing yeah, this I card. Not I, I want to know what I'm doing. 
Um, it comes into play untapped, which is a huge, which is why you would play Undying Evil Law. It comes back as a blocker, which sometimes is important. Eh, my but, removal spells are my blockers. I I kind of agree, and mostly I just want to know what my cards are doing. I don't want to have a reliable kind of game plan. And then Malachar Rebirth, I thought, or Malachar Rebirth, I just was not into it at all. Like I just ended up cutting that as well. The life loss is terrible. The fact that it doesn't bring back the creature with the counter is kind of terrible. I just didn't like having this card as part of the package. I don't want tapped lands. It's just like there's. It, yeah. It, I don't want a black source that doesn't get through Blood Moon. Like there's all sorts of reasons I don't want to play this card. Yeah. So honestly, the second time I played this deck, I just ran four Fane Death and three Undying Malice. I think a lot of people also thought it was kind of cute to run all these different cards that are kind of the same thing in case you run up against Meddling Mage. You're not playing a Meddling Mage in Modern? What year is it? Like, we're not seeing that card right now anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Hammer sideboards. Don't they just run Lavinia, though? Why not both? Why not both? We'll ask a Hammer player next time we play that deck. We got a bunch of other Rakdos spells that we all know and all love. Thoughtsies. I think we can go through these rapid yeah. fire. Thoughtsies. Sure, we love them. Yeah, you play you if you're playing a black mid-range deck, you're playing Thoughtseize. Lightning Bolt. Surprisingly, only a two or three of, but it's Bolt. That's what we have these days. Two or three of Bolts. Terminate. How do you guys feel about Terminate? Oh, it's super important. Love love any reason to put Terminate in a deck in this year. Right? Yeah. Can't believe we just are playing with Terror, but lots of decks are playing with Terror, and it's all thanks to Murktide Region, as everybody yeah. knows. I mean, it just hits everything. It just hits everything. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. Colgan's command. Did, did your decks? Did you guys play at main? I didn't. I did not play at main. I had one main that I, side, got sided out a lot. I don't think I played at main. No. Yeah, I mean it's always a two for one, but it always costs three mana. So yeah, there you go. It's the only three mana. I mean, it's one of the only three mana things, right? Okay, Knight's Whisper. Draw two cards, lose two life for one in the black. Efficient and painful but draws you cards. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. It feels important, but it never really feels like it's enough. I cut it from my first list. I was like, I'm got, I was getting rid of all these one-ofs the second time I went through this. I was like, I don't want one of Night Whisper. I'm just playing I don't more want... Season Pyromancer. Uh, that's exactly what I did, honestly, mm-hmm. but yeah. not really Season Pyromancer because the list that I had originally had all this stuff in favor of Fable the Mirror Breaker. Right. So what I ended up doing was running five total of those. I ran three Pyromancers and two Fables, but we'll get to Fable in a minute. Let's talk so about Fable Night's now. Whisper, Let's run into what, it. Night's Whisper is fine is the bottom line, but it, like you said, Stan, it never really felt as powerful as some of these other options. So I think Night's Whisper is underrated. I gotta say. I think it's an underrated card. I think it's always been underrated because you don't get effects like this for one like for two mana, especially in black. It's like it's like two life. Who cares? I mean, it matters, but I, I feel like there's like a, a thousand word essay here into like two mana draw twos and the good chaotic <laughs> chart of just like this versus expressive iteration versus yeah. Night's Whisper is lawful evil. Yeah, whatever else there is. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, I think it's fine, but like you know, I think that it it's just like it feels like a necessary evil but i still feel like i don't mind playing it but maybe if the meta was like skewing towards more aggressive decks or like burn or things where i felt my life total was like more under threat more often i'd be like okay we're moving towards like a season pyromancer or shaving some knight's whispers or other types of tuning i will say i never took it out in my games twos and threes 
And I almost feel like this is a better card to play on turn two than Kroxa. Like if I have a turn one grief or fury, turn two Night's Whisper just to like keep me in the game, especially if my opponent didn't necessarily like perform an action that I had to think about or immediately respond to. Seemed totally fine. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. I just had other stuff I wanted to do instead, which, like I said, it's just run those faithless season pyromancer effects over it. Sure. Yeah. Let, let's talk about Fable. This yeah. is this is two weeks in a row we're talking about Fable of the Mirror Breaker decks. This in version, modern. yeah, in modern, this version really only ever runs like two to three at most. I don't think I ever yeah. saw any with the full grip. It's not bad it kind of makes some of your decisions wonky about like whether or not you try to get to five lands as quickly as possible to fury, or if you start holding back lands after a while so that you can hold on to action and pitch stuff to chapter two on the fable. Yeah, no, I do think it's, it's tough in that sense for sure. I just wanted it to have more card flow basically. I mean, the treasure is nice. This deck often feels like it runs light on mana, you know, sometimes you feel like you aren't well, getting your land drops. You're willing to keep a one or two lander pretty often in this deck, you know. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I was think I think I was playing an 18 lander. Maybe it was a 19 land deck. Like, yeah. it is really slim pickings because it's yeah. such like an explosive, ideally, strategy. Yeah, I, I think that's something I want to talk a little bit more about when we get to the, the land, the mana base, because I think there's, there's a lot to discuss there. Mm-hmm, sure. But I just felt like, like I said, my first league that I played, I didn't have Fable in my deck, and I really just wanted more Season Pyromancers, and so I ended up running a set of some of each. Yeah, I, have, I had, and I, and it was that I would do that again. I would still do. That. I'm in the middle of that league still. I, I think it's the right decision. I think one of the reasons you also played this card is to live the dream and have a reflection of Kiki, so that you can start making copies of Grief or Fury. I never, I played two leagues, and I could never get there. Uh, I died to it in a mirror wow. <laughs> before I swapped Fable into my deck. That was part of the thing that convinced me, where I was like, oh, I, I need to run Fable because these people are just crushing me with mul- you know, multiple griefs every turn. Yeah, I mean, it's a good effect. Like I like you said, I think the, the mana is really important. The looting is really important. I mean, w- weird. All the things that Fable Mirror Breaker does are good. I did, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? I mean, the dream that they really lived against me, Stan, is I was hell-bent. They got their reflection of of Kiki Jiki online with grief, had me draw a card and and yeah. copied it, copied it in my upkeep yeah. or whatever in my draw, draw step. step. Yeah, yeah, great, thanks. Ouchies. Yeah, living the dream. Ouchie, boo boo. Real quick, Agdeem's Awakening. It's a land, but it's also a black source that you can pitch to grief. At most, it's a one of. Yeah, I cut it too. Though later on, I was like, no, nah, I'm not. So, Dave, are did you run like a second league with your version of? I Rekos? found a list. I found a list that was kind of doing this. Okay. That was basically, yeah. But these are all the I, basically. I just went through and cut all the a lot of the one ofs, or I found a list that was cutting all these one ofs in favor of more fables, Magus of the Moon, in addition to Blood Moon Main, and um, I think that was that mostly. There's not that much to play around with, so I think that kind of made up for mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a Blood Moon deck. It's a main yeah. deck Blood Moon deck. Ooh, yeah. definitely stole some wins with that card, as always. Yeah. It can even turbo it out on turn two if you have a turn one Ragavan that connects on turn two. Yeah, that rules. I love doing that. Definitely have done that. Yeah. 
I think it's also nice that you basically only need to fetch two swamps and you're blood moon proof. Yeah, it's hugely important. It's good to remember that you need to go and get swamps with your fetch lands. Yeah. Like, you can't be fixing your mana necessarily all the time with Blood Crypt. If you're considering Blood Mooning people at all, make sure to get two basic mountains, or sorry, two basic swamps is the big thing to do, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely ran into a little bit of strain where it's like, I'm trying to do an early Blood Moon, and... You know, I, I do. I, I try to get the double black, but then I never draw another land, and I get like a season pyromancer because it's a slightly land light deck. But like you know, those mm-hmm. are those are isolated things. When I think the power of Blood Moon is likely better than you getting the season pyromancer down. Yeah, or you just realize that the only way you're going to play grief is by evoking it. Yeah, basically, and you're just not casting Dalphy, or you're relying on Ragavan to fix your mana. That's the other thing that you can do. So yeah, there's, there's or lots shaman of tokens. Yeah. Shaman, or shaman yeah, tokens. Treasure. Yeah. Sorry. Shaman great. tokens yeah, too. It's perfect. Yeah. See, that's why I wanted them in there. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love having a main deck blood moon deck. Uh, I think it's a great aspect to cheesing out some wins as a, you're already cheesing out some wins by stripping their hand and then blood moon down. It's just sometimes could be GG's. Yeah. I don't think this necessarily has to be a blood moon deck forever, especially in a post Yorian world. Leyline binding might change that equation, but like if the popularity of binding decks wane a little bit, I can see Scam cutting some number of Blood Moons to just have a little bit more like threes and four ofs. Yeah. Whereas have more fables, like, have more season pyromancer, have more removal exactly. spells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it does not it's not relying on it. You know what I mean? It's not like a prison deck is trying to cheese it out. It's just like, hey, this is some gravy. And our deck, you know, the deck runs a mana base that can support it, so might as well. This next one's interesting because I didn't play it, but I wanted it. After my second league, I was like, I wish I had played a version of this deck that had main deck Liliana. Really? Up the veil. And and it's specifically because I said it before, I'll say it again. I just found that I was like hellbent constantly. And that's the kind of planeswalker I want to play when I'm just drawing when I'm living off the top of my deck and can maybe force my opponent to parity at that point because sure. there are so many situations where my opponent was not on a, you know, quote unquote card advantage deck, but I felt like I was still getting buried in their cards just because I've been throwing stuff away to get a board that they've managed to answer really quickly. And Liliana can pick off some some creatures with the edict effect or potentially like get my opponent down to fewer cards in hand without really punishing me for that in the process. I didn't feel like I missed her, but I also can see the utility. It's just like, you know, we're to the point where Lily is a fringe playable in the format. And like, maybe I'd rather have more Blood Moons or more Fable of the Mirror Breakers or more Season Pyromancer or, you know, whatever. You know the answer here for me. It was a one of in the first deck I ran. <laughs> I <laughs> turned it into something else. Great. I didn't even have her in the sideboard, though. And I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the thing that, like, I would probably do next if I was to revisit this deck. We know these cards. You know, that's yeah. the thing that we were saying yeah. off the top is that these cards are a good shell that it has existed in modern, at least since Modern Horizons 2. Many of these cards, of course, before that. And it's a good deck. It just, this, the elemental plan just gives it that bump that I think makes it actually work in the format, basically. All right. Stanislav, do you want to talk about perhaps, I think you maybe played the most of all of us on this. Like, how did you view playing this deck? Like, what was your approach? Try to have a proactive plan that involved a turn one play. And that's basically what I'm mulliganing to. 
to a point. Like I'm not going down to four cards. Sure. Do you do you like an order that like of turn turn one plays you prefer? Yeah, I mean you prefer the turn one grief, turn one fury is keepable, turn one ragavan is serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. Funny that that's kind of the worst one. Wow, that's an interesting question. Because here's the thing with turn one thoughtsies. Like, yeah, you can do it, but what are you doing the rest of the game is kind of the question. Yeah. Like if 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 your hand is like Thoughtsies, Kroxa interaction. Yeah, you're dying in the in the I th- blind. I think you have no. to. Pit, I think you have to ship it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like let's let's just let's say this. Like, let's say you have a a, a turn one grief you're going to do right. Like, but sometimes I think depending on the matchup, you might actually not. Like, maybe like Thoughtsies is good for clearing the way in like known matchups or for your turn two fury where you're like, what kind of stuff do they have in their hand? Is my fury going to get there? Do I want to save it for creatures? I think if you're on the draw, it makes a difference too, right? Like. Yeah. Don't you want to like if they have mana open because they didn't make a turn one play and they're waiting to see what you do? Then mm-hmm. if you turn one thought sees them, you can at least see what's going on to decide if you really want to try to do the evoke plan or not on turn two, which slows you down, yeah, uh, and leaves the door open for them to do stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm totally thinking this on the fly to be honest. But I almost wonder if a turn one thought sees is really good if you're going to back it up with a turn two fury or ragavan dash. Yeah, because turn one grief is as is better than a turn one thoughtsies. Correct. Sure. I mean, honestly, though, there's something to be said. I think for a turn one thoughtsies backed up by a turn two grief, like you know, what I mean, like let's say they, you saw a lightning bolt game one or something like that, and you're just like, hey, I want this grief to stick for a while because I don't have a lot of threats backing this thing up. So turn one, I'll get good of a piece of removal. Turn two, I'll grief them twice and i'm i'm off to the races and leave them top decking so i agree with you there if you're on the draw i I think that's really clear like if you're on the play why not just grief them take two cards like take their two removal spells yeah you're right on the draw i was was thinking don't leave your grief open to removal if you don't have to right exactly but other than that like this isn't like a great turn one thoughtsies deck or at least that's not necessarily what this deck is trying to do and if it's doing that, it's because it probably has a really powerful spell or, or plan to back it up on turn two, and then maybe even like a turn three Blood Moon or Fable to just like kind of keep you in the game and, and generate value erstwhile. How how bad did you feel playing Fury and not getting any cards off of it? It's it's it okay, depends. right? Like it's not great. It's okay, right? You know what the real problem is? What's that? So double strike does not mean that it kills the creature in the first part in the in this first strike effect and then and then gets damage in in the regular damage it's blocked no, it's, 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 it's blocked and then it's blocked yes that's yes right. yeah, this is how magic yes. works yes <laughs> it does not have trample but, the, yeah. but that, yeah, yeah like i for, like so when i was playing i was like ha 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 your one one is gonna block it on the first strike part i'm gonna get four damage in and i was like oh wait that's not how magic Shane, you, works you used to play death shadow no i well i played it very poorly <laughs> mm-hmm. I was not good at that part of the game. I, I think there's just like enough decks in the format that cannot beat a turn one fury. Yeah, like, sometimes they just is, can't. They just can't. Even if even if they're blocking it for like a couple turns, you're just like, yeah, you have no chance. Yeah, like that's a great play against Murktide, I think. Except for they can turn on unholy heat. Like the couple of times I did that against Murktide, they would I would get an attack in and then they would unholy. And then heat hopefully it, you have like a, you know like another undying so. effect would be sweet. But yeah, but turning on Unholy Heat like takes it takes a effort. few turns. Yeah. Well, it takes a fetch. I mean, it takes a fetch, a bobble, a lightning bolt, 
and a creature. That's all it takes. Right. But if you're furying for no reason, how are you getting that creature in the board? Like that assumes that they've had a ledger shredder out or something and they're doing it. I mean, you know, I think it's hard to ride yeah. that one creature to victory. I think if if you have a backup like undying effect, then I think you have stand a much better chance. But sure. Yeah. Yes. I will say I started out thinking that this deck was pretty good against Murktide and then I sort of ended up now this might have been because I played a match against Zach Allen <laughs> online where he was playing Murktide and I was on this deck and mm-hmm. I was like, maybe this deck is terrible against Murktide or just not as good as I thought against it. But anyway. So far I think this podcast has an O2 record against Zach Allen in leagues because I've lost to him good. as well. He's he's a super nice guy. We had a nice chat and it was a great match. Awesome. Yeah, I got to be they, honest. They always but, are. So, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah. I mean, let's talk about after turn one. I feel like that's when stuff just sort of becomes a Rakdos mid-range deck, where it's like, you know, depending on what the deck is giving you and what the opponent's doing, like you're either, I'm like playing more threats to try to take over the board, or I'm like removing their threats, or I'm trying to like get a little bit of card advantage back and some card draw, or I'm like maybe locking them down with a Blood Moon effect, or like dashing out Ragavans, or like eventually hard casting my elementals to try to take over that late game. Like the deck just gives you a lot of options. And hopefully they're the right ones for the situation. Yeah. However, I just want to draw an underline under one thing here, which is the the one way that it's different is that you have protection spells in your deck, you know, yeah. that protect yeah. your threats from removal, and they also allow you to do interesting things with comes in, come into play abilities. And so, if you play this mindset where you're like, this deck only this deck has a combo that I can do on turn one, but the pieces of the combo after turn one are kind of garbage you're not going to get the most out of the cards that are in this deck when you're playing. They're not good cards. Fain Death and Undying Malice and the others they are, are not good cards. cards. But they are, in fact, cards, and you can get value out of them if you mm-hmm. if you stay open to the situations where it's going to come up that you can. So that's the one thing I would say that makes it different from most Rakdos, Rakdos decks is you have that, those cards you need to figure out how to get value out of. They're like these weirdly modal counterspells yeah. where... They have a a very specific mode on turn one and then a very different mode later in the game. And that late game mode is sometimes pretty bad. It's like like a spell pierce. Or extremely surprising. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because people will be like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. Should we talk about like some of the deck's strengths and weaknesses? Definitely. What do you think? What was the the main thing that you thought was strong about this deck when you were playing it, Stan? Unsure? (laughs) I thought that um, the games where I had a turn one grief backed up by additional interaction, including like a turn two Thoughtseize plus a Bolter or a Terminate, I kind of just felt like that was some of the strongest starts I've ever piloted or seen in Modern. Like a turn one grief plus more action just feels like almost unbeatable since you're stripping all the good cards out of your opponent's hand while making uh, a very potent evasive threat that, you know, a four will close out a game fast enough, especially if your opponent has fetches and if you like you find a bolt or some some other way to like just do a few points of damage to the face, like sometimes that turn one grief will just close out the game on turn four. I agree. So so I, I think that's one of the strengths is like it just has one of the craziest turn one starts in the format, period. Yeah, I think that's the biggest strength of this deck basically is that everybody's trying to do powerful stuff on turn two or turn three in modern and this deck has a really strong turn one that disrupts them 
you know, and so in the best case disrupts them anyway. So you can use that. Yeah. And I think we often say, and we hear other modern players talk about how turn one Ragavan is just like one of the best plays in the format right now. I think this deck challenges that notion. And this is the deck that kind of, it's almost like the exception that proves the rule where it's a Ragavan deck, but it doesn't always want to play a Ragavan on one because it's other cards are better on one. And in certain matchups, as we've said, like a turn one fury sort of meets that same condition where it's just like fury plus some hand disruption or additional removal spells for certain decks is just like basically unbeatable. And I think it's consistent at doing something meaningful early. You know what I mean? I think that it's consistent at getting your, you know, your grief undying thing going on, or you can mulligan to it without much of a concern. Like, I think that you have a, a good amount of options to present like questions to your opponent while also potentially even stripping out the answers from their hand with, with the grief thing. Like it's, it's, you know, it's flexible and powerful. And I think that that's really, you know, something that you can't underestimate uh, in modern, which is sometimes I think you give up one of those two things. Like, it's like, Hey, I do something great, but it's hard for me to do. Or it's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm playing a bunch of merfolk consistently, but they're not that great. And so I think I think this kind of you know splits the proverbial uprights that I'm always looking for, which is like what's what's it doing and how hard is it to do it? Totally agree. And part of that consistency comes from a deck that can mulligan pretty well, right? You know, I think that we it, it's painful because you're on a card advantage, card disadvantage kind of plan, but you do often mull into a combo that you can make happen because you have eight pieces on either side you have basically you know you have seven faint death effects and you have four pitch elementals and so there's a lot of hands that are that come out of a seven or a six where you can do one of these on turn one lots lots of combinations however is that is that what we're mulliganing to most times you know stan you said that you're basically trying to mulligan to a proactive turn one play that includes ragavan in in your mind um i think that that is basically what you should be shooting for but you can't mulligan down the way that you might when you're playing like a Rhino's deck or something like that if you really feel like, okay, I'm going to get to Violent Outburst and, and X and, and go for it. Th- this deck, you, can't, you won't recover if you do that. I agree. And, and that's why it's kind of puzzling to me when I hear people say how well this deck mulligans because I see and feel both sides of the argument. Like, yeah, sometimes you can mulligan to like a really killer grief or fury start but other times you'll do that you'll multiply you'll have a killer turn one and then you get hit with a solitude and you just sort of feel like the game is over yeah and it kind of is if you if you mold the five to get that it, it is over yeah which is why i think that the, the deck mulligans well but i think that people i think that there are some questionable decisions that people get people get with getting greedy about the card redraw like i think that you have to really bear in mind that like we've been saying is that you can operate at a deficit and if you're not running a significant number of either looting effects which but those are still you have to have cards to throw away to draw those back up so whether you're running enough knight's whispers or season pyromancer or potentially fable effects like i think you want to be able to recover from the bad mulls where it's like yeah i started at five i got a grief in twice but then what they removed it and i'm top decking and i draw another you know uh, tap land or something like that yeah yeah exactly speaking of lands though i think another strength of this deck is that it operates at both low mana counts and high mana counts yeah like i think it's like you know you can you could operate with one mana 
for a couple turns pretty easily. Uh, and then, but then if you get into the late game and you're like, hey, I've got five mana, I was usually happy because then I'm like, sweet, I get to hard cast this fury. I don't have to try to like do something uh, weird or evoke it just to clear something out. I get to get my you know three three double strike around the board. Yeah, I totally agree. That it's kind of the interesting points where really need to be careful about keeping a one lander where your only turn one or one mana play is Ragavan because Ragavan is so easy to kill. But a one lander plus the grief combo usually feels okay. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Especially, and I think that becomes even more true if you have more faint death cards in hand where you can like do that several times if your opponent is trying to, I don't know, not exile, destroy your creature. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the weaknesses of the deck. I mean, number one is it's weak to exile effects. Your plan is bru- like leyline binding and solitude and stuff is brutal against your deck. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's really really rough. You invest all this in there. Maybe they have to spend two cards, but you just have no way to to, to get out of it, and it costs them low mana. And in either of those cases, really, yeah. Like I had someone, you know, I played against Azorius Control. They had March of Otherworldly Light, and so they sort of they might have to pitch a card at the same time. But like you know, they they're getting an important creature of yours off the battlefield, so that can be kind of annoying. And like you know, not only uh, battlefield exile but graveyard exile. So of course that messes with the combo aspect of your deck as well. You know, you do have other options to rely on, but you do lose kind of the the killer app aspect of your deck you know you're, you're losing the primary thing and if you're waiting till turn four to hard cast a grief or turn five to hard cast like a fury you're not necessarily doing what you signed up for i do think that you know there's not like a bunch of amazing stuff you're doing on turn two i i think that that's kind of a hole in your curve i don't think it's like a ridiculous one because you do have enough enough options whether dashing ragavan or you know, like you know casting a uh, a knight's whisper or something like that or just like thought seize lightning bolt there's a bunch of stuff you can do you frequently don't have a lot of cards to double spell on turn two so it's just kind of like you know it's just it's a hole in the deck perhaps and maybe people aren't looking at that um, as strongly as they could be uh, in terms of other options like maybe we are playing uh, blood tithe harvester and a month i I don't think so Mm. i don't think that's no i don't think so either no that's not happening yeah just play more croxa and the last thing i noticed is going to the mana like i mentioned earlier i think the mana is like unnecessarily greedy for, I for reasons I can't really tell. Like, I think it uses mana so well that, like, why are we playing, like, nine, 18 to 20 lands? And some of them are, like, if you're playing uh, un, uh, Malachir Rebirth, are coming to play tapped lands. Like, I think that we could maybe trim some of the fat in the deck list and just be like, I'm a 22 land deck, so I more consistently am main de- I'm casting my uh, griefs and furies, personally. Yeah, I I have, I feel like I've had to mulligan way too much with this deck just because of not having the combo and also not having two lands or straight up just drawing no lands a lot of times at this deck online. So, you know, the shuffler's broken and is against me and all that kind of stuff. But Mm. um, I agree, Shane. I I don't know why this deck, it it should just be like a 22 land deck. Let's not get crazy with the the, uh, double face cards and stuff, I think. I think it also has some glaring weaknesses against specific cards. You know, Teferi... Time Raveler is surprisingly good against the combo. It makes a turn through Teferi makes it really hard to do an undying thing late in the game because you can't target your creatures with undying if the trigger's on the stack. Hang on one second, though. This is another spot where you would want to make sure that you order your evoke trigger the right way, though. Because if you 
do this with Fury, sure. and you put, you know what I mean? You put the triggers in the right order, you kill Teferi, resolve that, then cast your Feign Death. Most likely kill Teferi anyway, you know, but just worth noting. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The other thing is potentially a, a moot point after today's band news, but the four-color matchup felt abysmal to me. And it's almost like the exact opposite of this deck, where all of your actions two-for-one yourself all of the four color actions get them card advantage. And, and it just felt like their strategy was designed to beat you. Future Omnath decks could continue to be a problem, I think, for, for scam strategies. Here's another one that kind of took me by surprise whenever it happened. Any Karn deck that whips out an ensnaring bridge feels almost unbeatable. Unless I can just like go runner-runner with some Bolts and Kroxa. You do get to run Artifact Hate in this deck, at least. You have Coligan's Command. You You should have Coligan's Command. That's one reason to run one Coligan's Command anyway. You know, it's that that meme of like putting the one card over the the bad matchup. But um, you do get to run a Braid and and two, which is not get to. You have to run one, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can and you can show that upside board with like you know ingot chewer and whatnot. So I mean, it's helpful. But like you said, yeah, like you you do have some holes in game one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what else? What else do I hate seeing? Um, like we talked about ley lines, but landline of sanctity is like I think something somewhat increasing because of all of the popularity of this deck. Because you know you do target them with grief, you target them with, with thoughtsies and things like that. So I think there that that shores up kind of the the best thing you can be doing on turn one against a leyline of sanctity is not so good. And then of course we talked about leyline of binding. Yeah, the yeah. leyline of binding, which is a problem as well. All those exile effects are bad. Yeah, nasty. You want to breeze through the sideboard really fast? Just kind of talk about some options and what you might bring them in against. If you <laughs> rapid fire us through sure, it, sure. Why not? Uh, engineer explosives. It's kind of what do you want to be doing? You know, rhinos, hammer, artifact, token stuff. Sanctifier onvec out of hammer or burn is something extremely bad that you do yeah. not want to see, and you have to have ways to kill it. And EE is a very good way to kill it. Yes. Yeah, so is roiling vortex really strong against your evoked elementals. Yeah. Uh, and Pyrite Spellbomb gets run in the sideboard sometimes for the, to get rid of Sanctifier as I well. I mean, I especially would with like with how popular Hammer is right now, and Unvec is a known tech against this deck. It's increasing in popularity. Have a Pyrite Spellbomb, perhaps. Uh, Turok Dread Cantor, sometimes in the main even. It's like, you know, a solid option against heavy white decks like Azorius Control and Four Color Omnath. Hopefully we'll see less of that. Also, this dodges Leyline Binding. I don't know if you're winning a game off the back of Turok, but there you go. You absolutely can. Sweet. For Sweet. sure. Perfect. In those matchups. Yeah. Uh, Hidetsugu consumes all. Finally get to have a deck to play Hidetsugu. Uh, another kind of like EE effect. I feel like I might just want more EEs, but you know, Hidetsugu is cool. Unlicensed Hearse, we talk about that. Um, Anti-Graveyard, Necromentia, combo slash near combo, hate like Cascade decks or Yawgmoth, Fatal Push if you want more cheap creature removal. Magus of the Moon, if you want something that doesn't die to Vaseju, a braid for artifacts, weird, uh, and also creature decks. Chalice of the Void, Cascade Hate, Cobru, Anti Burn, uh, Ingot Chewer, which is a 3 3 that can be evoked for just a red mana, and then you can use an Undying Effect. It kills artifacts, gives you a 3 3 or a 4 4 on the board if it has a plus 1 plus 1 counter. Those are kind of the main things that I saw looking back the past like few months of the deck, or those are the main options I saw. 
God, I would love for us to do an entire episode of Shane rapid firing cards and what they're used. Hey, for. we've got episode two hundred coming up, so that that's our uh, our Modern Horizon set reviews. Are that <laughs> overall thoughts, my friends? I mean, I I'll go first. I I really enjoyed this deck, and the thing is, in my leagues, I did worse than I did with creativity with this deck, like bottom line record speaking. But I enjoyed this deck a lot more, and uh, I just think that it's more interactive. All of my matches went to game three games. All of them were interesting. All of them, I can trace them to mistakes that I think that I made that I think I can improve on in the future. I think the deck is hard to play, but I really enjoyed it. I will definitely be going back to more of this. Shane, Shane, this is a deck that you've been talking about wanting to try for a while. Yeah, Did it meet your expectations? So I met my expectations. I mean, full disclosure, I was still sick a lot of last week. Even through this weekend, I was just like in COVID brain and still kind of am. So I only got like five games or five matches in but what i really i liked the fact that it felt like i was doing different things different games i liked playing these are all cards i like playing right like and that's the best thing is i get to play with cards i like and like that's a blast like every card is a card i like i mean besides you know even the the undying effects just because they let me do what i want to do it's not like i'm like looking for an undying malice deck or something but the fact that i get to play like Blood Moon and Fable and Ragavan and even Dothy Voidwalker, which was a card that like I was super hype on in the spoiler season and Grief and Fury. It's like this is all like, sweet stuff. I get to thoughts these people. I get to make decisions about cards that I'm taking from their hands. I get to poke holes in their game plan. I get to you know try to ride out a turn one Fury against a control deck and it it gets there and that's like sweet and all that kind of stuff was a blast. And I think that the deck, it like you were getting at Stan, is it does things that other decks cannot. Like no other deck besides like a Orzov deck that's ephemerating grief really can can do this game plan. And it's kind of a fun game plan. It's kind of it's it's fun to mess with your opponent's game plan. Like I have people scoop when that happens on turn one. You know what I mean? It's just like scoop. Like I'm not I'm not even gonna play this game out because you're gonna take two cards. So it's a, it's fun. I mean, like it's definitely it's going into my like paper deck quiver. It's going to be one of those, you know, few things that I would consider taking to like an, uh, a game night next time I go or, or play with friends or, you know, when we go to, you know, when we go to our next event together, I will definitely have this deck with me unless something like dramatically nerfs it. So anyway, you get the idea. Totally. Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll close out the section. This is a weird situation where I wanted to enjoy playing this deck than I did in practice. And Shane, I think you're you're speaking to something that I sort of felt, which is the dexterity of this deck seems like it would be really fun to play in paper in a way that online just feels like you're so focused on ordering your triggers that um, it takes a little bit of the magic out of it. Yeah, like once I forgot, to, I didn't cast Undying Malice at the right time and like my card went to the graveyard before I could, and I was like, ah, oh, man, I did, that was stupid. Like that would never happen in paper. Right, yeah. And I mentioned that I felt like I was constantly hellbent, which I didn't love. But on the other hand, I did feel like when the deck was cooking, I was just doing like the strongest thing imaginable. And for that reason, it was really fun. So kind of a give and take. I played two leagues. I went four and six. So got, you know, buy two leagues, get one free, basically, which is, which is fine. I will add the last point. My wins rarely felt close. It almost feels like when I did my turn one grief or in certain situations, the turn one fury, like it was so effective at running away with the game that assuming I had other good cards in hand and could interact with opponents' hands or boards, 
it just seemed like the strategy when explosive runs away with a lot of games that any other one drop just probably couldn't do. I, I like the long games too, though. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, I a ragavan makes a couple treasure tokens, or like my shaman token makes a, I mean, makes you, yeah, makes a treasure token, and I get to you know hard cast the fury, like you know turn five or six, and like that is what I can ultimately ride to victory. Like it, it feels fun to like get to those points too, where it's like you're doing something fun early and fun late, which is one of the strengths I mentioned earlier. Like it, it can use it can use the mana well if you go long, and I like that too. I think what this deck really needs. For me, some more skelementals. <laughs> Do it. Do skelemental skele- elementals. Skelemental scam. The problem is the skelemental sacrifice trigger happens at every end step. So even if I did it in response to the trigger on my end step, it just dies on my opponent's turn. Scamamentals. I was just thinking, isn't it a shame that none of the um, none of the evoke elementals cost three or less so you can use on Earth? on them but there is one endurance you can bring endurance back if you want you can have that one yeah that's true and i guess skelemental pitches to both elementals yeah well this was fun yeah it's nice to have shane back agreed it's nice to be back you don't know you don't know what you got till it's gone you know till you take two weeks off shane feel better hope you recover from COVID soon i'm feeling a lot better today so i'm happy dave keep up the good work always a rock and stan you know just Keep on keeping on, I guess. Stan, there's a there's a good review coming for you this year. I've seen your file. Nice. Okay, it's looking good. And on that note, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic Online with the Mana Trader subscription. Promo code the dive down 15 gets you 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more. They now have t shirts and hats and decals over at Barrister and Man. Promo code the dive down 15 gets you 15% off your first order with them. And save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 to get 8% off your order from NRG just in time for the tournament in Newark, Ohio. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and scam it up! Are you still there? Why are you still listening? Well, since you're here and you've gone to all this trouble, we've got a surprise. We're doing a little extra giveaway this month, and you can get some really sweet stuff from Stan's closet of magic curiosities that he's trying to unload. We got some Beetle and Grimm stuff, a couple other gifts that I'm just going to mail out for free, patrons, non patrons alike. All you got to do is message us on Twitter at the dive down, get into our DMs. If you're a patron, DM Stan in the Discord. And if you want to get an extra special something or other 
and you want to maybe bump the line, make a charitable donation in the Dive Down's name. Could be $5, 10 $15. Show us proof in the screenshot, and we'll make sure you get something extra cool. Do something good for others, and you'll get a little special present for yourself too. And if you can't afford that, that's all right. We'll still try to send you a nice little present while supplies last. While supplies last. While supplies last. Supplies are limited, only available to people in the United States. I'm sorry, we can't ship these to Canada, Mexico, Netherlands, Asia, Europe, Africa. This is just for Americans. While supplies last, get at us.